Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll begin the first 10 verses of that this morning if you want to get your Bibles or apps ready. Uh, for that. If you're visiting Christ Church today, my name's Mark, and I get the privilege of being one of the ministers here at the church. We're glad you're with us. Uh, as Isaac explained a little bit earlier, uh, we're in this series called Repurposed. And I want to ask you, if you sat in these repurposed chairs, and you were asked the question that you've seen asked and answered on the videos th- the first three weeks in the series, what's the story you can tell? The story of how God has called you from one place to another or to the same place to do a new thing. I want us to think about that as we go through this book of Ephesians, when we learn the things that we've learned. In the very first week, Michael DeFazio took us through the things that God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit have done in the first chapter, verses 3 through 14. Last week, I took you through verses 15 through 23, when we talked about uh, Paul's prayer for the people. His prayer was pretty simple. He wanted us to know three things, or four things. He wanted us to know that we could know God more deeply. He wanted us to know that we can experience God in the everyday events of our lives, and not just the mountaintops. He wants us to understand the value of the church and what God does within the church. And then, ultimately, he wants us to know the power that's available to us. The first chapter is about what we possess with Christ. If we have Jesus in our life, what is in our possession? What has God done, Jesus done, the Holy Spirit done? What have they given us, and what's available to us? The second chapter begins uh, uniquely, and it talks about what our position in Christ is. In 1998, there was a forest fire in California, and the uh, crews were called in to set a perimeter around an area of forest that hadn't been burnt yet to try kind of create a firewall so that the fire couldn't jump to this part of the forest. And when these crews arrived to begin to put up this firewall to protect the uh, unscarred forest, they saw coming from the burning area of the fire a, an adult male dressed in a diving suit with mask and air tanks running for his life from the middle of the fire. Of course, that caught their attention. In their investigation following... This man had been swimming that morning in the Pacific Ocean, deep sea diving, when a helicopter with a large bucket to collect water quickly came down and scooped him from the ocean and dropped him in the middle of a forest fire. The moral of my story, some some days it doesn't pay to get out of bed. Can I have an amen? All right. So in chapter one, think about that. Your worst day, I bet it wasn't like that. I've had two people ask me, was he okay? He was damaged. Let's just say it that way, and we'll move on so I don't ruin my story. All right. So we know what we have in Christ. Now we know what our position is. And what I want you to understand is God wants you to know there's a resurrected life for you to live if you choose to live it. We, all we have in Christ is available to us right now, and that's what I want to talk us, to us about as we open the second chapter. I'd like to begin with the part that's not flattering. In fact, it's a little deafening in the room with the noise I'm about to make to remind us of where we've been. I simply like to call it the walking dead. It's using the terminology that Paul uses. He doesn't call us the walking dead, but he talks about the walk of faith and the fact that many of us have walked from death to life and what that looks like. Let's look at the first three verses. 
And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. It's not a, it's not a flattering passage. Uh, it's sometimes disturbing. And I want to be clear as we begin. We're not to live in our past, but we must remember where we came from so we don't make the mistake in the future of going back to it, right? That we need to know where we've been so we never go back and live in that part of our existence. So when we review this today, I want you to know that there's a turn in Paul's telling of our lives that's very important, but we have to know where we were. So let's talk about what Paul shows us about ourselves. First of all, he says we were walking another course. Now the term walk is significant here. It's the verb that Paul most commonly uses for Christianity. Now you have to understand they walked everywhere in their everyday lives. They didn't have vehicles, they didn't have motorcycles, they, didn't, they might have taken a horse if they were rich, but they didn't ride those around as transportation very much. They walked everywhere. So when Paul uses the concept of following Jesus as a walk, he was identifying that it's an everyday part of your life. It's not just something you do once a week, but every day you walk following Jesus and you walk this path. He said the problem for many of us is we got off the path that God asked us to go on and we started walking a new course, and that course only led to death. And he wants us to remember that the choices we made, trespasses and sins, not the mistakes or accidents, the choices we made led us to death. And we walked it willingly. Now, later in this book, in the 17th verse of the 4th chapter, Paul says this, Walk no longer as the godless walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. See, he's warning us that there is a course you can walk on that may seem right to you. And it may, we become mistaken that our path we choose is the best we can choose when God's path is the best you can choose. Paul says you were on the wrong path. Second of all, he says we were under another power. We had placed ourselves in the dominion of another according to the prince of the power of the air. Now Jesus used this expression in John chapter 12 designating Satan. Paul uses it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, designating Satan, and he's using it here as well. The prince of the power of this air, a title for Satan's domain, that this world uses the power and things of the world to gain advantage over others instead of blessing others. In fact, in Colossians 1.13, Paul would write, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God transferred us. You can't transfer yourself. God was the one who took us from the power of Satan and delivered us to a greater power. Third thing, we are under another father. We were on the wrong course, we were living by the wrong power, and now we were also under another father. Now, for many of us in our culture today, we think I'm, I'm under no one's control. I do my own thing. There are those that serve Satan and there are those that serve Jesus, and I'm kind of playing in the middle. I want you to understand, God says there is no middle. You're either for me or you're against me. Not because he hates us, but he wants us to understand there's no middle safe ground. You're under the authority of a ruler, and he says, and many of us have chosen to be under the wrong father. 
How do I know that? Because of Paul's terminology here. Listen to him. The spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And we're by nature children of wrath. The exact opposite of who God is. And he says, so you're on the wrong path. You're walking by a different power. And you're serving another father. John would write in 1 John 2.17, The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Notice that there is a choice that has to be made on the path we choose. So if you allow me to be a preacher for just a moment as we have this conversation, and I hope that's what we're having is you and I playing back and forth a little bit with each other. As you hear me walk through this, I want you to understand I cannot say anything more important than this to us in the condition we're in right now. Sin is not to be played with. You don't have as much control over sin as you think you do. And if you're trying to amuse yourself by saying, I can quit whenever I'm ready, then I'll challenge you to try to stop now and see how much actual power you have over these things you've given yourself to. It is a threatening thing to walk the wrong course by the wrong power and serve the wrong master because you don't own yourself. You have given yourself to the lusts and passions of those things, and they're hard to break. But here's what I want to say right now for everyone in the room. It's all of us. It's not just three or four of us who are really messed up. Every single one of us falls under Paul's conditions when he says that sin has led you in the wrong path, in the wrong direction, and under the wrong sense of control. And the only place it takes you is devastation. Then, why would I say that to you on a Sunday morning? Isn't it dreary enough outside? It's all gray. It looks like a great nap day. Why don't we just head there and get this over with? We'll get there, trust me. But I want you to understand why we need to know where we've been. Paul told Timothy, he he said, told him to preach the truth. Why? That God may grant them repentance, leading to the truth or the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. That God is the one that will lead us to repentance when he has captured and showed us the reality of our condition. Then repentance is available. So how do we get on this path of life? How do we alter our course from this direction and head in the direction that we've been called to? I want to show you what I think are the two most important words. Now that's a big statement. Ephesians is an awesome book. And Paul has written a book for all of us to encourage our hearts. But the two words that flip the whole book is found in verse 4, but God. Knowing where we've been, knowing the choices we've made, and knowing the things we've done, Paul says, but God, in spite of all of that, he made a move to our benefit that we could not have made for ourselves. He put something into play through Jesus that rectifies everything we were, the wrong path, the wrong power, and the wrong God. But God. Let's continue reading. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. That's a pretty heavy group of five or six verses. When you listen to it, it's like, here's what I want you to be able to take away. If you look at the verbs, 
Who's verbing this? God is. God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this, God did this. And because of that, we received this. God did all the work. And so when it says, but God moved in a way we could not move to position us away from our sin and poor choices into this life of hope, that all that he talked about in chapter 1 is foundationally substantiated by the work of God so that we can begin to live the resurrected life he's called us to live. Now, hopefully your tail's wagging just a little bit. But if you haven't caught on yet, let me tell you the movement God made for us. First of all, Paul says he loved us, verse 5, or verse 4. Because of his great love with which he loved us. Now, I know when you come to church on a Sunday morning, you expect a preacher or the worship minister or someone to mention at some point you're loved. It might be in the hallway. I love you. Have a great week. But you want to hear that God who knows you in your private moments still loves you. And when you think about God, what's interesting is we say that God does loving things, and that's what the Bible teaches us. But it's because God is love, not because God does love. And God's love is shown to us in two key <clears throat> excuse me, New Testament words, mercy and grace. His love is shown to us in his mercy and in his grace. And Paul says, from where you were, God moved with mercy and grace. And in fact, he says, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. He chose to be good to us when we were not good to him. He chose to honor and love us when we did not honor or love him. God made the first move. He loved us while we were still sinners. And secondly, he resurrected us. But I don't want you to see that as future tense. I want you to see in verse 5 when he says, he made us alive together with Christ. And, I, and I, I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about it with me. Is Christ alive only in the future or is he alive right now? Then so should we be, correct? We're not waiting until we die to get to heaven to go, you know what, I'm really jacked up right now and I'm going to stay jacked up because I don't know what else to do. And then one day God's going to fix me and then ah, I'm an angel and it's going to be awesome. That's not what he's talking about. Romans 6 says, verses 3 through 11, that as we were baptized into Christ, we were raised from death to life. As Jesus entered into death and was buried in the tomb, we come out of the tomb of water and we walk in newness of life. If Jesus is alive today, then church we should be. Not living and saying, you know, well, one day it'll get better. No, no, I'm alive today. And because Christ is alive, I know I'm alive. Why? Because God loved me and showed me mercy and grace and he raised me to life. The third thing is he exalted us. You see, God's answer to the punishment of death is not exemption, it's resurrection. Let me say that again. You might want a God who simply says, you know what, you big knucklehead, let's just act like none of this happened and you can just live forever. But you don't understand the corruptible body we live in and what we've done to it in our sin. We need to be taken free from that to live in a new body, in a new heaven and a new earth. So he is going to walk us through the door of death. But the answer to death is not exemption, it's resurrection. I'm told when open heart surgery is done, they will take the heart out of the person and stop the body to replace the heart and restart the body. And that's what God does in the resurrection. He takes us through death, takes out our heart, puts a new heart in, and we live forever. So he's loved us, he's resurrected us. Why? To exalt us. Verse 6, and raise us up with him and seat us with him in the heavenly places. 
If you weren't here last week, we talked about what it means to reign in dominion with Christ from chapter 1. And I'd encourage if you weren't here to go online, go to our webpage, ccochurch.com, and uh, listen to the message. I don't know if it's a great message, but we talked about what it means to be exalted with him and what that looks like in the life we're going to live in the new heaven and the new earth. But he, he did this for us. And fourthly, he gifted us. So he loved us. He raises us to live now. He's exalted us knowing that we are going to reign forever with him in this new heaven and new earth. And then he gifted us. And the reason I use the word gifted is whether you know it or not, the word grace means gift. We often use the word grace to mean my sins are gone. And that's part of it, but that's only one of the gifts. So when you hear the word grace in the Bible, you may think, well, I'm saved. That's no longer for me. If I said to you right now, I have a gift for you, would you respond back to me? No, thanks. Someone's already given me one. No, you'd go, what is it? You got something for me? I'm in. But what if you have two of them? I'll take five of them. Give me the gift. When you hear that the grace of God is for you, I want you to understand that he gifts us in different places at different times in different ways. Some gifts he gives to us in the immediacy of our becoming part of his family and others down the line as we're able to live and enjoy and to use these gifts. Verse 7 through 9. He gifts us in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God has no plan to stop blessing you. But some of our blessings, I believe, are contingent upon us accepting the gift he's giving us right now. So it prepares us to use that other gift later, and then that other gift later, as we receive his grace. You see, when, for most of us, and, and I include myself in this, I'm not condemning anybody else except myself, and if it splashes on you, join me. For the longest time, I thought grace was the fact that my sins were forgiven. But I have, you have to understand this. It's insulting to Jesus to think that he died on the cross so that you could get a second chance. You need to understand, he died on the cross because you have no chance if he doesn't. It's not to give you a mulligan. It's to give you the power to say his crucifixion takes care of all your sins now and forever. And without that, all of us are condemned on the wrong path, under the wrong power, having served the wrong master. But by his grace, his grace every day, that every morning we wake up to his faithfulness, that every morning we wake up to his mercy, that every morning we, make, we wake up to the new uh, gifts of grace that he gives us in our life. So if you're asking yourself, why am I here? I want to take you back to Michael's sermon two weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read three verses from the first chapter, and I want to see if you can figure out why we're here. Verse 6. To praise, to, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 12. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Church, why are we here? To praise the glory of God and not ourselves. To, to remember where we were and to remember in spite of all of that, but God chose to love, resurrect, exalt, and gift us. And by doing so, the possession we have in Christ changes my position today. 
You see, my salvation is a gift of God, not a reward. It's not a reward for having tried harder. It's not a reward for doing a better job on the second chance that I did on the first. In fact, I think my second chance is more futile than my first was. It's understanding that it is not a reward for anything I've done. It's a gift of his mercy and his kindness. I said all of that to get where I am right now. What is this chapter about? It's about being saved for a change. It's not about just escaping hell. It's about being saved for a purpose. A purpose that fits you like a glove. A purpose that will make your tail wag and make you wake up every day excited about what God might do. Look at verse 10 with me. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Honestly, there's two or three week sermons in this one verse. I'm not going to do them all now. We'll find time later. But I want to show you two key expressions in this verse that I hope works for you today. See, he says good works. God created in Christ Jesus, you and I, for good works. He's using the term good works there because he's contrasting it to the first three verses of chapter 2 where he talks about works of the world or works of darkness. You see, all of us have within us the ability to make everything about us, don't we? We're nice to people if we get something greater in return. We, we will use people to gain our advantage. We'll take advantage of circumstances to make sure we get ours, and those are works of darkness. But God has created us for good works where we give ourselves away, where we wash feet, where we pour ourselves out, where we serve others to no benefit to ourselves because that's what we know deep in our soul is not the way to make God love us. It's the way to respond to the love of God. They're good works. So let's pause the sermon for a second. Let me ask you a question. If, if Paul's image of walking is the most prominent vision in the New Testament of being a disciple, then how many of us feel like we don't really walk, we stumble? Or we crawl? Or some of us feel like we sat down a long time ago and we're not proud of ourselves? Am I talking to that audience today? Yeah, it's been interesting. All three services this morning, people have gone, yeah, stumbling, crawling, sitting down, and if you want to use the Bible expression, some have fallen asleep. And you don't want that. When you hear me talk about this, you're thinking, yeah, and so Sunday mornings you come in here, and our, our goal is to inspire you with the truth and hope of Christ. And sometimes we got to smack you around a little bit, and other times we pat you on top of the head. Sometimes we give you donuts. Who knows what we do? But we're trying to inspire you to walk out of here going, with the grace of Christ I can do this. But it sometimes doesn't last very long, does it? You get to Tuesday morning, and you're like, ah, oh, tail's not wagging. Life's hard. I don't love what I'm doing. I don't love what I've become. It's, I, my walk's a stumble. And some days I just sit down. I'm here to tell you. I want you to look at this verse with me. It's found in Philippians 2.13. Paul says, For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want you to notice here that when I pointed out to you when we read verses 4 through 9, that it was God doing all the verbs, God doing all the work, God providing it. The reason you're stumbling, the reason I crawl, and the reason I sometimes sit down and pout because it's not the way I want it to be is because I'm doing all the work. God did not say through Paul, 
that Jesus saved us so we would work our hind ends off and prove to God we're sorry. He said God saved us so he could work in us and put us at intersections in our life where we're created by him to be the right person in the right moment to say the words of truth and grace to the praise and glory of God because you all know If you're a believer in Jesus, every one of us has had a moment where we were going through an intersection in one distinct direction, and God crossed someone in our path that diverted our direction a new way, and it was God's way. Have you been there, church? You're created by God for those intersections and moments in life where he's created you to be in relationship with others, saved and unsaved, to help them know the will of God to the praise and glory of God. It's good works. And then the second word I want you to notice is the word prepared. Prepared works. That this isn't just a free-for-all. Go out and do good things. Run around and show God how important he is to you. No, no. Listen to the voice of God. Be led by the power of God. And let the good work of God that he's prepared for you. That means that God has a plan for your life. It's sitting in these chairs and saying, Hi, my name is, and God has repurposed me. I thought I was here to do this. And now I'm doing that and this. You see, for some of us, God's going to change the course, trajectory of our lives. We're going to say, I'm going to go do this. And God's going to go, that's not really what I want you to do. And if you listen to me, you're going to find a better life if you do this. But some of us, he's going to say, I need you to stay right where you're at. And I just need you to wait for that one moment in time where you help one person in intersection find a new path that leads to life, not death and destruction. And I got to ask you a question this morning. Would that be good enough for you if that's what he called you to do? If God said, I've got a moment in time I've created you for, and I want you to be right there serving me, loving me, and praising me, because you may be here for one person, or you may be here for 20,000 people. It doesn't matter. If God's got you in the good works, he's prepared beforehand, that I'm telling you, church, this is what we're missing. So how do I stop crawling and stumbling and sitting? Ask God this most dangerous prayer. He said, it is God's work to make you will. God's the one who can create in you the desire to remain where he has you or the desire to move you to where you need to be. Can you pray the dangerous prayer this morning? God, help me to follow you and want to walk behind Jesus. If, the, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, can he answer that prayer? Now, is it risky? Oh my goodness, it's risky. Because he may not leave anything alone in your life. He may so mess up your normal life, but let me ask you, do you love your normal life? I don't. I don't mean yours. I'm not sitting in judgment. Your lives all stink. That's pretty pretty raw, wasn't it? I don't love my normal life. I want it different. I want to walk with Jesus with energy. I want to rise up on wings and not get tired and never grow weary. I want that. And God is saying, then Mark, quit making every decision and seek me. And I have wired you for the moments like this. Let me put you where you're supposed to be. Church, when we get that, we're going to walk strong, faithful. We're going to be what God wants us to be. You've got to let him work in you. No longer the old direction, the new direction, the new path. Ask him and watch him reveal to you those places he wants you to be. If you're a person who, when someone's reading something, needs to see the words, then the words I'm about to read are going to go up on the screen. And I'd ask you to just very attentively 
Listen to the words on the screen. If you're a person who listens simply audibly and in your mind you create pictures, close your eyes. Don't sleep. Close your eyes and listen attentively to the passage of Scripture from this morning as reinterpreted by Eugene Peterson in the message. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heavens in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us, with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging we'd done the whole thing. Now, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do. Work we'd better be doing. Would you agree? God's good. It seems so cliche, but it's so important. God is so good. And he wants you to understand the good life. The good life that he's prepared for you in Jesus. To live by the love, the resurrection, the exaltation he has for us. To gift us. You see, God is going to take your fractured existence and all the things that we've shattered. And God is going to take all of it and recreate the most beautiful thing of you he intended from day one. That's the God we serve. That's the God I'm asking you to pray to. And ask him to show you how to will and to work for his goodwill. Let's stand together and sing. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.